Hi everyone, welcome to episode 46 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you go back to episode 1 and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends and family who may know about the podcast. It means a huge amount to us. We'd like to take this opportunity as well just to give a big shout out to our sponsors, GRG Sports and Vinci Harper Asset Management Company. Thank you very much guys for the continued support over the last couple of months. We really, really appreciate it. It's actually now time to bring on this week's guest and I'm delighted to be joined by Tipperary Camogie star Sarah Friday. The five-time Ashbourne Cup winner with UL has experienced two crucial ligament injuries to date. The most recent actually came at the start of last year which actually ruled her out for the, for the whole season. Having been called into the Tipperary senior Camogie side of 16, she's a wealth of experience and knowledge to draw upon that she will definitely use over the next coming seasons. Sarah has experienced a number of setbacks in her career, not only to do with the, the crucial ligaments, but she also was denied the opportunity to represent Ireland in cross-country running due to budgetary cuts. She was also knocked unconscious during the final trials for the National Basketball Squad. We have a huge amount to cover and I'm looking forward to bring Sarah on. Hi Sarah, welcome to the Inside View podcast. How are you keeping over the, the past couple of months? Hi Jamie, how are you? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, great, sure, as well as everyone can be expected, I suppose, um, with lockdown and not knowing what's kind of coming between teaching and between sport and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, going well now, a bit of good weather in the last few days, really p- picking up spirits and that kind of thing. So going well, yeah, thanks. That's good. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have that luxury down in Kerry. It's it's raining, <laughs> it's raining 80% of the time, so uh, it's quite bad here today, yeah. Uh, but you have to make the most of it, I suppose, when you know when, when it does come. Uh, just on that point, there you you mentioned that you're you're still doing a bit of teaching. Um, are you going back into the school now, or are you are you still kind of teach from home? Yeah, so it's a mixture. So we're just on our Easter holidays there now. So when we go back after the break, all the students um, from first to sixth year should be back in. Please God, all going well. But for the last few weeks, it's just been fifth and sixth years and online teaching from first to third. Uh, then so it's kind of a mixed bag and I must say I was delighted to get back into the school and see the girls in the flesh I'd say as as they were because you would feel sorry for them like um it, it's it's their social life really like school is for them at the end of the day and you would feel for a lot of them stuck to a computer and that kind of thing so I'd say the sooner everybody's back and uh following restrictions of course and all that and please god everything will be okay but yeah delighted to be back in school now a little bit of normality I guess yeah, and it's uh, I suppose in two points there. Um, how did you find, we say, that period? You know, that height of teaching from home. Um, because, you know, it's very easy just to get up in the morning and be stuck to the, you know, to the laptop all day. How did you balance that and and training as well? Yeah, I suppose I'm very fortunate uh, in a sense. I'm living inside in Paris with four of my best friends and we're all sport mad and there's two of us teaching in the same school and then the other three are working from home as well. So we kind of nearly motivate each other, I suppose, to write lads. We'll get up at eight o'clock, go for a walk back at the desks and we'll be on for the day then. Um, might get down at 11 for a coffee together, lunch together and nearly make a routine of it from ourselves and I know I'm kind of um, unique in that sense. Not everybody has that, but we nearly had an office going inside in, in the house, like between everyone. So it was nice in that sense. And we did, it, it, it kind of lost, I suppose. It's, um, 
it lasted such near the end then we were delighted to get back into school but a few of the girls are still working from home so very fortunate to be back in inside in the school yeah yeah it's just uh you know it's it's it's, it's definitely making things you know it, it must be awful to be going through you know the leaving start cycle now whatever about the june start cycle but the leaving start cycle because it is a stressful time and i but the amount of uncertainty there at the moment um just one thing as well it, it's uh it's supposed you know it's, it's something you always notice that would you you kind of be similar age as a lot of students in school how do you find that like you're i know you're, you're teaching now the last two years last two or three years but we say the first couple of months how did you find yourself you know having that barrier yeah. or, or, you know you know what I'm trying to yeah say. I know I do and I understand completely what you're saying and I actually I'm teaching in uh the school that I went to so that's another thing you're you're with teachers that have taught you and there's students there that you're meeting on the street walking up and down to the shop you're playing camogie ladies football with them coaching them whatever it might be so I suppose it was a bit acid to start yeah meeting them in the corridors and seeing their poor awkward faces not knowing whether to say hi Sarah hi miss or whatever but uh it kind of, yeah look you get past that like and it is nice I suppose um to be that similar age because to a certain extent they see you as one of the younger teachers and probably feel they can relate to you a little bit more and you know open up that bit more and from my point of view from teaching it makes it a little bit easier in that I can make the content a bit more relatable or for example like you just couldn't keep up with them at the moment like there's you you could be given a presentation give them a presentation to do and all of a sudden they're like miss could we make a tiktok out of it i'm like yeah go for it <laughs> like make a tiktok <laughs> no problem and they get such a a kick out of it like you know so it's it's moving all the times and i suppose i'm still in that young age group i'll call it um of a teacher so i'll use it to my advantage to as long as it lasts and make it as enjoyable as possible that's brilliant. Jeez, that's brilliant. Jeez, it really, really, really makes us feel old, you know, when you when you hear that, can we make TikTok out of it? Like, because back in order, yeah, yeah. there's only blackboards. There, there was no... chalk, like a ch- chalk and talk. Like, no, it's completely gone now. Like, you need to keep up with them. <laughs> this is probably a rhetorical question, but how's, um you know, how are things around Turles at the moment? Are they kind of starting to, are you know, a plan has been put in place to, for place to be opening soon? Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, it's a little bit uncertain. Like we had four um schools inside in Turles, uh, very busy schools. With uh, so there is a lot. When the schools get back, there seems to be always some bit of normality because there's buses. It's busy around town. There's people in and out to, uh, delis or whatever it might be, in and out for coffee. But you know, there is, it. It is nice. There's a bit of busyness back around the place when the schools are back, but. There is that bit of uncertainty um, still uh, meeting people all the time. Like you meet someone on the street and it's kind of, should we, should we not? Could we just stay moving? So, you know, it's a little bit um, up in the air, but there is some sense of normality and people are getting, I suppose, used to the normal and and following the restrictions to the degree that they can meet people for a walk or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely strange times. Um, just we, we'll bring it back another couple of months uh, when when thing you know when COVID did kick in last year, it was twenty twenty was a challenging year for you. Um, you did your cruise for the second time. Um, do you want to just bring us through that journey? Because naturally, when you when you do your cruise you know there's a lot of rehab on your own, but you're very much on your own. I say you know for for this period, like this. Yeah. This injury. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, it is. I suppose the fact that it was my second cruciate, um, it was to a certain extent I knew what was ahead of me, which was probably nearly sometimes can be the worst thing, like because you know the hard work that has to go in. 
and it is a very lonesome road um, when you're on the sideline doing your own runs and the rest of your team is is training away. And to be honest with you, that's the, that's nearly the worst bit watching on and kind of feeling nearly helpless to a certain extent, especially in the early stages. But I suppose the thing this time around, which I only really noticed a few weeks in, was that everybody was by themselves. So like everybody was individually training. So we were doing workshops that the WGPA would have provided in how to um, survive in, in isolation when you're training and with rehab and with anything. And even though it was actually towards the whole team that wasn't injured, it was specifically, I found it so beneficial because I thought I was alone in what I was doing when really I wasn't. There was other people who needed support in this isolation and training and being away from a team. So it was it was super, I must say. And at the time, I actually wasn't living inside in the townhouse here with the girls. So I was at home with my family. And, you know, now I, I'm surrounded by teammates, which is great. But at the time, it was very lonesome. But as I said, everybody was going through the same thing. So it did make that, I suppose, lonesome journey the first time around that bit easier. And physios were so supportive, in a sense, as much as they could be sending on work and kind of you get a light bulb moment every now and again when you're like oh yeah I remember doing this exercise three years ago or whatever it might be so I was fairly confident in what I was doing and just putting myself in the best position for when the physios and sanctuary and whatnot opened back up again so yeah it was tough but it got through it. Was it on the same leg that you did the cruise ship or was it the, was it the other leg? No I'm fully symmetrical now <laughs> two legs gone <laughs> yeah. And the because I, I I've I, I've unfortunately know a lot of people that have done the cruise shit or even even worse still that they've partially done it so you know they're just kind of waiting for for it to go completely but um the hardest thing is definitely the the rehabbing but you know I suppose you were probably in the similar boat that you broke it down into manageable goals and achieving those goals but the biggest thing is and as you alluded to there is that you know you weren't in that team environment um that buzz kind of kept it going for a couple of months but uh, like how did you adjust it then later on in the summer um would you have moved back in would you move into turles we say later on yeah. in the summer and that kind of got things going yeah again? so so basically we started off um we got when lockdown was lifted and we could get back training and it was with our club teams that we went back with and um we I, I started back and our manager was very supportive in the fact that he really wanted me to be involved with the team because as it stood even if we got to a county final it was looking unlikely that I'd be making any appearance so he was comfortable with me getting involved from a management point of view selector training because I'd, I'd say like every team um when lockdown hit people were back at home like they weren't up in Dublin so we all of a sudden went from having one senior camogie team to having a senior team and a junior team Jesus. in a small rural parish so numbers were it was great I suppose from our manager Kieran Harmsey's point of view to have an extra person there to coach so we could split the team into two and take a full-on training sessions so that definitely uh kept me occupied um I'd go down before train and do my own bit of rehab and then train the girls afterwards and that definitely kept me focused along with um a few other things that I took up uh but yeah it was something that helped me out and then eventually when I got back to that I could participate in training after getting back to the physio and up to sanctuary and getting the all clear I gradually got myself back into, okay, I could do the running with the girls. Okay, I could do shooting, non-contact. And, you know, that I was kind of used to that um, from when I did it the first time around. So I could kind of gauge it myself uh, with management. And luckily enough, um, when we got our, our, our county final in uh, in August or in September, rather, 
I was seven months post up, probably a little bit premature, but uh, came on on the day and luckily came out alive. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the result didn't go our way, but it definitely was a stepping stone for me to getting back for when TIP started a few weeks later. And just kind of give us a bit of an insight there, how um, how the, the the WGPA has you know has been has been there for. Well, from your own experience, how how they have been there for you through your journey um, in the rehabbing your injury, and pro- I suppose mainly actually through COVID, um, because I think that's something important. That's you know that's something a lot of people have alluded to since that the GPA or the WGPA are there and they're doing great things. So you yeah. might just give an insight into that. Yeah, I suppose um, I really got to terms with, or got to know uh, their services at the start of the lockdown and like a lot of our teammates. So I was involved with the senior, temporary senior football team um, at the start of the year as well and the camogie. So between the two, we did lots of workshops online. Uh, they were very adamant that we did them in small groups as well. So everybody was uh, contributing and, and learning and uh, participating. So we did it in areas of like nutrition, um, which we would have learned an awful lot about in lockdown, uh, looking after ourselves on rest days, gym days, running days. Um, so that was massive because even though we might have got some of that um, uh, coming up along, you know yourself, things change so much now between uh, what protein you should be taking in uh, on a, a game day to on a, a rest day or from carbohydrates. So that was one. Uh, we got a lot on uh, from a psychological point of view as well. We worked with a few psychologists who are super and they've got you into the mindset of like training on your own and putting yourself in the best position for when you get back. And a lot of people really like, I suppose, even myself, I would have looked into at the start, looking into even getting a little bit of just someone to pick up the phone and chat to like, because the first few months after I did my knee or even when I did my knee, I really just couldn't deal with it. Like there was a lot of emotion and I just needed to get it off my chest. And I was going to take advantage of that that service only for we had the group workshop and it actually nearly worked out better then because I could speak with my teammates um, and learn that they were actually feeling the same. They were in isolation. So nearly knowing that people were there and feeling the same yeah, was, was nearly better than anything. And the WGPA um, and now GPA together, they're under the one umbrella, like provided that service and definitely helped a lot of people through, through a tough lockdown. Yeah, that's... Um... That's only a recent thing, you know, that they're all under the one umbrella now, which is it's excellent, you know. It should have been, um, should have always been that way, but it's it's definitely good because you see the benefits in, you know, for example, in UL there that everything's under the one the one banner, um, and they're all singing off the same hymn sheet. But just to say, um, just kind of we say bring it back to your just after your cruciate, um, either first or second, just those couple of weeks we say after the operation. Can you kind of bring us through how you were feeling? You kind of alluded to there, you were feeling down and, you know, which is natural because I think a lot of athletes probably feel like that. Yeah, so I suppose the the worst time for me was really when I did my knee actually uh, in early January. Uh, I was after going in, I took the year before to do a bit of travel in 2019 and both managers excuse excuse me and that was perfect like so I really enjoyed myself 2019 but fully with the intention that I was coming back in 2020 to give it my all and I ended up um getting asked into the Tipperary senior the ladies football as well as the camogie so I put myself in a prime position of fitness wise and I was going really well with both panels and really looking forward to a summer of sport which ended up not happening regardless. But at the time when I did my knee then in a challenge match against Cork in January, 
uh, in Camogie, it seemed like the end of the world, really. Like, And I know that sounds ridiculous with other things that are going on, but to me, the build-up to what I had um, put into it, it really, and instantly I knew straight away that it was my knee that was gone. And physically, I suppose I did a lot more damage this time around. I did my ACL, my MCL cartilage, and I chipped the bone as well. So I was in ferocious pain and I was out of school for a while and I was in a brace. And then on top of that, mentally, you're thinking different things are going through your head. Like, like you're 26, you probably have a few more years left in you. Like I was at probably my best fitness phase. Can I get back to that level? The fact that I gave the jewel a go now that I have two ACLs in the space of three years, would it be risky to get back and even try to do that again? Was the reason why it happened because I did the jewel. So it was very tough and there was a lot of stuff going through my head. Like I said, the WGPA would have provided a lot of support at that time. But I do always say like it is you give your few weeks and you get it out of your system. But after that, once you have your surgery, uh, every step is a step towards rehab and getting better. And uh, I worked really well with Santrium with my physio, Paddy O'Brien and Tumivara. And look, look, it, it was tough at the start. But the minute I got that operation, it was head down and uh, to the better. But for the two, three weeks before that, it was very tough. Um, but yeah, so it was all working after the operation. Um, after operation, and you know, when you, when you got to the stage then that you were able to go onto the field again, um, I'd imagine, could be wrong now, but there's a lot of um, psychology in it, is there, because you're yeah. always going to have that doubt. And the yeah. fact that you had the other knee as well, so <laughs> you didn't know which way to turn. Exactly. And like like I just said there earlier, when I got came on in the second half of that county final with the club, uh, there was probably a bit of adrenaline that kicked in that day and I kind of came out and I was fine and you know the, the worst thing was that we were after losing and I just assumed a few weeks later then when I went back in training with Tip that everything would be fine and it wasn't it, 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 like I really I without kind of I can look back now and say that I was absolutely terrified um, of training and go, I was pulling out of tackles I was nearly putting myself more at risk of doing an injury because I wasn't going in hard on tackles and it was just I, I know it was just a confidence thing. And I remember going to meet physios and strength and conditioning coaches and anything I was doing by myself, they were saying your body is in perfect condition. You're ready to go. It's just your head. You need to get yourself right. Like your knee is absolutely fine. It's just your head that's going against you. And I actually took uh, about two weeks where I didn't play games with Tip. And I went and I worked with um, Carbro Quilon. He's a Tipperary senior hurlers um, strength and conditioning coach. And I went one on one sessions with him where we where he did gym programs for me, where he did uh, where he had me out in the pitch and he was hitting me shoulders harder than I've ever got before. And uh, within the space of two weeks, it was just a complete shift of mindset, of confidence. And it just took working with Carver to get myself back into that position. And like I said, my body was ready. It was just to get my confidence back. And once I knew I could hit him a shoulder, I said I could go back into training with the girls. And in the space of two weeks, um, I was putting myself in contention to play in, a, in an All-Ireland quarterfinal, which I thought wouldn't be possible a few weeks before that, and then getting the start for the All-Ireland semi-final. So it was, um, it, it definitely, I couldn't, because it didn't happen to me on my first knee, but I suppose when I did my first ACL, but the second time round, I suppose, it was very real as the fact that I could be out again. If I did a third one, would that finish me? And that kind of a thing. So yeah, it was just a massive change of um, mindset and confidence. That dual player um, thing, I was that your first time trying the dual player, or were you in were you in there earlier on in your career as well? 
Yeah, so I would have when I was underage, um, so under 16 and, and that, I would have played football with Tip and Camogie with Tip. And I kind of realised underage that it wasn't, even at that age, at 16 and minor, which we're seeing now again, that some managers are nearly asking people to choose. And it did get to that stage. And I myself decided to go with the Camogie route, um, probably number one, because in our in my club, to ask more, we actually don't have a ladies football team. It's just Camogie hurling that you were bred with growing up. So I stuck with the Camogie. And as I started getting older, then secondary school, and then into college, um, I got asked into the panel in 2014 and I, I kept going for a while, but it started affecting my camogie and, and I actually ended up leaving the panel that year. Um, for the next few years, I kind of always dreamt about it. Um, would I be able to, for it um, if I got the opportunity and would I be able to manage the two? And I suppose looking at teammates like Orlo Dwyer and and uh, Roisin Howard and that that they were able to do it so I said um, I, I gave it a try so luckily enough I got asked into the panel then last it was 2020 anyway I was in uh, working with Shane Renan and, and all the girls and really really enjoyed it I must say and my my fitness was sky high my my skill was coming back and I was putting myself in a really good position on both panels and more importantly than anything I was enjoying the two of them so then obviously when um I did my cruciate, I stayed with the girls with the football panel for the full for the full year and saw out the year. But I made the decision this year that I was just going to stick with the Camogie. Um two ACLs in the last four years, I suppose. I just didn't want to put myself at any more risk than I could be. And from the advice of physios and strength conditioning coaches and surgeons, they just said maybe just you are you you always put yourself in the best position and it's still kind of happening so you need to kind of be eliminate the risk to a certain extent so that's the way where I'm at right now at 2021 we'll see how the camogie goes and then we'll see after a year or so if I can get myself back into a capacity to take on the jewel I'd love to. I was actually going to ask you that um are you ruling the prospect of the dual player out but you, you just answered it there all going well <laughs> um, you got it, yeah. and just uh, look um this is probably going to be a hard thing to to de- delve into but we kind of touched on it a few minutes ago but obviously with lockdown now it's extremely difficult for everyone um and as everyone has physical health they have mental health as well um how are you dealing with the ment- your mental health um, over the last year or so, which obviously was probably made worse because of the injury. Or, or have, are you having any issues at all? Yeah, I suppose the worst thing for me really was um, when, I, when I did my ACL again. And after that, I did kind of knuckle down and I got myself back into a, a routine. And I, I do, since I, I was away in 26, 17, 18 and 19, um, when I did a bit of volunteering in Uganda, I gained a lot of perspective. And I suppose um, also in seeing people around you that are going through an awful lot worse, that would probably happily switch places with you. Um, that made me get through the, the ACL a lot quicker and, and a lot easier. But um, yeah, look, it, it is tough. Like I said, I'm in a very unique position. I'm in a house with a group of uh, like-minded people and, and we bounce off each other and motivate each other. Um, if there's days where it's like, oh, I'd love to stay in bed and not even move for the day, one of us will pull us out and we'll get us walking and we'll get us doing something. So I am very fortunate and, and I do realise that to be surrounded by such a good group of girls inside in the house here. Um, so that is keeping me um, positive. But I suppose from a teaching point of view, like I do see it in girls that you would be teaching that 
there's a few a good few struggling um and it might be them not coming online or, or whatnot or not sending in work and it is tough to see that um because it is making people and even from adults it doesn't have to be just children it is tough to see that and hopefully we'll be able to bounce back from this um, as a community and as a group. And I think getting the GA back open and getting the schools back open will be a massive stepping stone in, in Ireland to getting us back to some bit of positivity towards our mental health. Yeah, I think unfortunately there's going to be a massive um, repercussions or consequence of, of these, you know, repeated lockdowns and um, just that, that's, that's obviously a, another, another massive chat we could we could go into um <laughs> but just on something something you've been talking as you've been talking about the last while um something that's kind of very apparent um whether you're, you're you're aware of it or not is that you're extremely grateful for what you have um and you had you have already touched on it would you practice gratitude or is that just something that kind of really opened your eyes we say when you're uh when you did that volunteer yeah, I suppose, like, to be honest with you, before I did my first ACL, I probably would have took a lot of stuff for granted. Uh, so that was back in 2016. I was um, in college, third year of college, I think. Like, I was, I would actually say I was burnt out from sport um, up to 2016. I was always doing everything I could throw my hand at. I was playing camogie um, since a young age and always playing with the age above me playing senior when I was under 16 or minor and I think when I got to 2016 and I actually did my cruciate it how people think I'm mad when I say this but it was nearly the best thing that happened to me because it actually forced me to stop and and look and and see what I was kind of missing like it, I missed family weddings I missed family events and that didn't bother me you know I was just getting on with it I was going playing matches and that was the best thing like and I was a 20 year old girl like and that was I didn't mind missing any of those things and it, it forced me I suppose to take a step back and see outside Komogi and I did get like you said the opportunity there to do a bit of volunteer and I went um with an Irish organization called Nurture Africa to Uganda um and I obviously liked it a lot because uh, I went the year after and the year after um and the final year I went I was actually a coordinator working with the organization and so look it was a super um a super experience for me and like you said it did make me I suppose without even realizing it I'd never say I practice gratitude but I suppose in what you're saying I do without realizing it um it makes me appreciate what I have at home uh with my family with my friends with the sport that I play and it, it made me enjoy the sport again I suppose going back to that um maybe I lost sight of that up to 2016 I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to perform when there was no need nobody else was putting it on me it was me like so yeah I, I do I do fully think that doing my ACL in 2016 was nearly the best thing that happened to me because I wouldn't have the life experiences I have today or or the enjoyment I have in sport probably if I if I didn't that's that's very interesting actually that <laughs> what, what you just said there at the end there that you wouldn't you don't think you'd have the enjoyment in sport as a result of doing that it's amazing how sliding door moments happen you know whether yeah. it's all about taking the positives or the negative from it but just can you give us any insight into your volunteering in Uganda like what like what kind of stuff yeah. would you be doing you know just 
So yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, broadly. So uh, Nurture Africa is an Irish organisation. Um, they work uh, in uh, they work with a Ugandan town called Nansana. They have um their own place over there. It's a medical centre. So if you were to volunteer with Nurture Africa, there's three different areas you could look at. It would be from a medical point of view. So a lot of nurses, student nurses, uh, qualified nurses, doctors, physios all the would go over and uh, help out um, in the, from the medical side of you. So in Uganda, um, there's a there's still a HIV AIDS epidemic. And what we're trying to do as a group is to try and, and combat this and I suppose educate people uh, to the best of our ability as to how they can try get themselves um, out of this situation and, and live a more sustainable life. So that's from a medical point of view, they work with antiretroviral drugs and try ensure that people are nourished and eating the right things because as long as you don't um, go, as, if you're HIV positive and you take your medication, you can live a totally healthy life. Whereas if you let yourself, if you don't take your medication, if you're not living on a nourished diet, you could get, see yourself get, getting AIDS and eventually then dying from that. So it is very interesting and it's life-changing when you see the work that's going on. So that's the medics. Um, you could go over as a teacher um uh, you can go over as a teacher teaching primary schools secondary schools teaching children english teaching children first aid and also working alongside um the teachers over there so educating them new methodologies a lot of the time i'd learn from them i actually did my thesis for um my pme over there where i looked at um comparing the pedagogical well-being so the the love of teaching between secondary school teachers in Ireland and in Uganda. And it was amazing how similar um, the love of teaching was that they wanted to see their students grow and the rewarding factor um, and the inhibitance. So the things that held them back were quite similar as well between funding and resources and time. So it was very interesting. Um, and then there's another, the last sector. So your medical, your teaching and your general skills. So it's kind of a catch all for anyone that doesn't fall under medics or teaching and you could be working in building you could be plastering one day you could be painting in the evening you could be teaching first aid the next day um and you could be doing a sustainable program the next day which i think you'll find very interesting actually where we give out small little loans to small business businesses to set up and uh, they support themselves from that and it's all monitored you have mentors and you have people checking in on you so that it's, I suppose the whole thing is that it's sustainable, that it's not handouts, that you can uh, build up a business for yourself. And the next year that say I could go back to the same businessman that I met that was selling charcoal on the side of the road, could have actually taken out a further loan because of his earnings and now progressing to a larger business. And instead of putting one of his children through school, he's now able to put two. So there's massive um, rewarding factors that you see when you go like that and you're and I'm very much part of the community now in Nurture Africa and I have great friends over there and I work alongside them and I, I still can see myself going back um at a later stage and it's something that I clearly I'm very passionate about um so yeah it is like I said a lot of that mightn't have happened if I didn't do my ACL in 2016. And just so before we move on from that just sort of curiosity um when you're over there where would you stay is is there a hotel or what? No, the- no hotels, no. <laughs> so the accommodation has actually gradually uh, improved, I suppose, since I've been going. So when I went in 2017, um, we would have stayed in not shacks, but it was a cement. Uh, it's a building 
you have a single bed, you have a mosquito net, and you have a squat toilet out in the yard that you have to go the whole way across and fight off lizards and whatever you meet along the way. But <laughs> I, I'm, I know it's not that bad. I'm only messing. But um, I suppose the key thing that when people visualize um, Africa, they probably see huts and, and a very rural setting, whereas in Nanzana, where we are in Uganda, it's a very built up area um millions of people uh there the streets are very busy there's cars there's um guys on bikes that will go through yeah for a shortcut so do you know you just it, it's a very busy setting and it's very urban um and and that i suppose leads to a lot of their problems in that there's millions of people thousands of people there that um they're just but again the happiest people i've ever seen in my life and they don't realize what they're missing and i suppose that stems to uh, me being appreciative to what I have and, and all that if they can be happy with what they're surviving on literally having food and um, so food on the table and a shelter over their head and if they're lucky a child in school that's where they're happy like so yeah look the, ha- the, the, the best times of my life have been over there like and uh, that's hard to say because the worst times nearly have been too but it's brilliant Jeez, that's uh that really you know experience like that really put things into perspective for you before mm-hmm. I, we, we'll bring it back um to your early days uh you know you, you did say you you played football and camogie but I'm, i also believe you played basketball to a high enough level and you did running as well yeah can you, can you bring a bit of, uh, an insight into that yeah look i suppose it's not a uh as glamorous i suppose as it sounds but i did have the opportunities um to i suppose play on a national level uh, but one thing or another happened and, and and that didn't end up occurring. So I did do athletics for a number of years um, in secondary school all the way up. And look, I, I do enjoy running still, like, but I think it's a solo element that doesn't appeal to me as much as um, as the team sport. But I did get the opportunity to um, the last race I ran. Actually, we were in an All-Ireland up in um, Jordanstown. And I if I kind of had a feeling like that I, I'd be placed well enough and the next two weeks we were going to be heading off to Wales to represent the Irish team and the top 10 were going. As uh, race started, Sarah lands flat in her face. So I got a nasty trip. Um, it was only a 3K cross-country run. So like you'd be going at a decent pace for the whole thing. So I ended up being at the very back of the line. I'll never forget like my dad and my coach and everyone just saying, get up, get up, go, go. So they coached me through the whole thing. They were like, right, 10 more, 10 more. Got up to where I thought would be enough to see me through to the All-Irelands uh, in 10 after busting a gut. And the next day we heard that they were after cutting the budget and they were only bringing the top six or something like that. So look, again, do I look back with regrets or whatever at the time? Yes, I was a devastated teenager. Like, But if I did get to go ahead and get the taste for an international point of view, might it have led to something else maybe. But look, it's not something I... Like I said, I, even when I was doing that, like it was always the team element that appealed to me more than anything. And look, that's that. That's that. And then from a basketball point of view, inside the presentation, secondary school, we had a feast of sport at our disposal. We had basketball, we had hockey, we had soccer, football, camogie, everything. And um, I did get the chance once to go for Irish trials and was doing quite well. Um, and then we got to the latter stages and, uh, I can just remember waking up in, in in a doctor surgery like was I got knocked unconscious like and I was out for the rest of the week so again I could have probably if I really wanted to pursue that a bit further um but it wasn't something that I 
took as serious, I suppose, as the GAA. And you know yourself, when you get to that age, 16, 17, you kind of, between study and school and whatnot, you need to kind of make a choice. And my choice was camogie at the time. And it's something that I, I, don't, I don't regret, I suppose, but I would always encourage, I suppose, young girls to stay going and play everything until you lose the enjoyment factor, I, I guess. And um, that's, that, that's really what happened to me. I got to a stage where I was playing basketball, running. I was camogie football and I was just pulling from everywhere, being dragged left, right and centre. And then I just decided enough was enough and I lost the enjoyment in the others and I focused on the on the GA. Still enjoy the old recreational uh, basketball game every now and then and the odd run, but that's about the extent of it. <laughs> and I, during lockdown, did you, well, when I said lockdown, the first one back in, <laughs> back in this time last year, um, were you one of those people, I'm sure you obviously weren't doing the 5Ks because you were still <laughs> rehabbing, sorry. <laughs> no, but I actually, I was on, I got a... Um, my uncle actually, uh, Philip, he had a spare racer bike and I had never really cycled much at all, but it was something then that I took up. I was doing 30, 40 K like every second day. So any of the times the five Ks came up, I was not batting down. I was getting on the bike and it was lovely. It was such a nice sport to get into the cycling was. Um, and again, like I'd love to get into it, but it's just when you're doing 110 different things, uh, it's hard to find time for it. But my brother's found good use for it anyway, and he's doing a good bit of cycling with it at the moment. But again, when the sun shines, you'll surely get back out on that bike. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Jeez, it's uh, definitely something like just even over the last couple of minutes there, anything competitive you seem to be you know, getting involved in all, and it just, it's, it's amazing, people, it's amazing players who play at a top level, you know, they always have that competitive streak, or, yeah, a healthy competitive streak, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to, to see that, um, and you, you probably, you were saying it there, you probably didn't realise it, but it's, uh, no, it's, it's definitely, definitely, um, definitely good to have, just, can you create a picture when, when you walked into the, the Tipperary, um, dressing room did you go into the camogie panel first or was it the football panel a uh, camogie yeah camogie. when you walked into the camogie panel first what was it like you know i think you're probably 16 17 were you were that young yeah six, 16 just 16 yeah jeez so, that's yeah can you create that picture because it, it must have been daunting yeah it wasn't it was incredible and i must say we were after coming off um very good campaign with um my school presentation and from minor and under 16 and uh, also in that Tipperary Senior Camogie were only after they, in 2005 was their last um, All-Ireland that they had won so there was a lot of that team still rocking around inside and to get the chance to go in and play alongside those girls um, was just something that I, I'll never forget and, and playing alongside them and I learned an awful lot from them the likes of Claire Grogan and Jill Hoare and then even my own club mate Cora Hennessy to see her on that level like it was just incredible and a lot of these girls had massive success with Cashel winning on Ireland's as well. So it was it was something that I was so incredibly proud um at the time because I did have a few knockbacks when I was underage and stuff and not making panels and stuff. So to get the chance to get in there and it was it was sensational and I really did learn an awful lot from it. And um, they, I suppose the girls then in the next two years or so they did um they, they were due their retirement and unfortunately a lot left at the same time and it left a bit of a void I suppose in the group and there was a lot of young young ones like myself who probably were forced to grow up a little bit and we went through a, a very unsuccessful patch there a high turnover of management high turnover of, pair, of players 
Um, so there was a good few tough years there now in Tipperary Senior Camogie after, I suppose, the honeymoon stage of playing with the girls at the start. And it, w- it was very tough. And it's it's nice now, eventually, in the last two, three years or so, to see us being back in a very competitive position and, and being able to play to that standard. And I suppose when I started, that was nearly 10 years ago now. And you need, take, you need to take a little bit of responsibility at this stage. And um, it's kind of, I suppose, to an extent offer the words of wisdom if you can that the girls were to us when we were back then even though I still consider myself a young one but <laughs> Jesus, you're, like, yeah. you're there 10 years like so you'd be kind of regarding the old ones now would you but, uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came across a story that some fella walked into the, I think it was actually Shane Carty you know he used to play with Dublin and he, he talked yeah. about health. Um, he was in the Dublin panel at the age of 17, 18, the senior panel. So like he used to be training before school. So he used to be put on his school uniform and the rest of the guys would be going away to work. Like, and <laughs> it's funny, like, wait, would, it, would you have been in the same position coming from the school going to training? Uh, yeah, I suppose you would have had like, but I think it's a lot more um, acceptable or it's a lot more seen in from a lady's perspective that uh, when you're that age, maybe not that age now, but 19, 20, sometimes you can be nearly at your best um, it, from a women's point of view. So like, it's not unheard of. Like I could, I didn't see myself like that at all. I was sitting in a dressing room beside Claire Grogan, who won an All-Ireland with Tipperary when she was 13. So, you know, you're getting no, um, Jesus. <laughs> no you're, so that's what you're up against. Like, um, so that never really crossed my mind, to be honest with you. Um, and I don't think it would have crossed theirs either. They would have said, well, Claire was here in 13, 14. So come on, cop on. <laughs> Did you say she was 13, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she so the, the rule, yeah the rule came in, um, the rule came in, I think in 2008, that you had to be on your last year under 16 um, to play with a, a senior team, uh, intermediate or junior, whatever it is. But before that, it was a free-for-all. Because <laughs> so I remember... I remember going playing uh, an under 14. We were allowed to play at the boys at the time, an under 14 boys, uh, a boys match. And uh, the match actually ended up getting abandoned. And uh, we tore off myself and my club mate, Clodagh Quirk, to play a junior B um, camogie in 2008. And we came on, so we were only 13 like that. So then after that, it changed. And dramatically, we couldn't even play intermediate or junior A the next year, like after playing junior B the year before. But uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Kamogi's come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, oh my God, I never knew that, no. That's, a, that's crazy. It's, it's, it's a great story, don't get me wrong, like, but it's uh, it's crazy that uh, yeah. it's not that long ago, I suppose, at the same time it is, but you know you know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. Just look, again, leading on from that point, you have uh, an, you know, an amount of experience been in, in inter-county um, teams, you know, underage and, you know, of, currently seen yourself up and then you're with the college as well what do you think what skills have you learned or can someone learn from camogie slash j that are very transferable in life in general yeah i suppose um a massive one obviously would be like communication and teamwork skills and the ability to actually actively listen to your teammates or your colleagues or whatever it might be and it, it, like that definitely helped me an awful lot um in my third year with North Africa I went back and I was uh, a, a coordinator so I was basically in charge of 60 to 70 uh, volunteers getting them from Dublin to Uganda looking after their every beck and need and 
there were a lot of that came from I suppose developing a, a mutual respect and a mutual understanding um, amongst a team amongst a group of people amongst when you're teaching whatever it might be and definitely developing that mutual respect for one another and being able to share similar experiences um, is one that I would definitely look at that is something that I'd from be playing on different teams like there's different types of players there's different characters and that follows through into every walk of life and it's about being able to um, deal with all these different uh, people in, in their own manner and, and get across a point and that so I, I do think there's a lot of um, different dynamics no matter where you, where you go whatever walk of life you're going and getting that mutual respect mutual understanding um, is definitely something that's uh, I see as important yeah that probably leads into teaching then that you know skills that you learn from from sport you're able to transfer over dealing with you know people from different backgrounds um but just how important do you think is from your own experience um a good team culture and in your in your words first of all what do you think a good team culture is you know if if you if you would uh you know a blank canvas to to work from Yeah, I suppose a key thing is that the, the group, um, and I suppose I'm talking nearly from a UL point of view, because that's probably the most successful panel of teams that I've been part of. And in that environment, everybody buys into, has a common goal. Um, and once you have that, and once everybody is willing to put the shoulder to the wheel and get there, um, have accountability for yourselves um, to get to that goal, it's it's going to develop a really good culture and I suppose once you're in that culture where everybody's going to work for the girl beside you or the man beside you it's going to lead to you trusting in each other and and an enjoyment coming in that as well because no one's going to shout or give out to anybody who's trying their best and and I think that development of culture is going to lead to it's going to breed success and breed enjoyment. That was very much the case as you said there um you know, when when you were in UL, I would have been there at the time as well. And the definitely the ladies camogie side, and I think the footballs weren't. I think the footballs were successful enough as well. Um, yeah. but that was one thing. Yeah, you can't see like a roller coaster. You're in, you're out, you're winning. Um, what was it like to be part of that? Yeah, and you know what? What was so special about that, and what continues to be special about that in UL is that. It's a group of girls um, and even management that come together that are not winning monster finals. They're not winning all Ireland's with their counties or even with their clubs. And I think it's when that group came together and saw that everybody was willing to work for one another and and develop that culture of real enjoyment and real like friendship and camaraderie developing that. And that came from a lot of um, team building and a lot of work went in there that had to be said for Deirdre Murphy from here she was also involved in the development and starting of the WGPA who was um, our GA officer at the time and Deirdre when we were in college when I was in first year in 2013 when we won our first Ashburn um, she put in that it was like you said it was all under the one umbrella the girls were getting the same funding the same gear the same respect um, that the men were getting and that led, that started the whole thing. Like the women just took off uh, in, from my six years in college, I won five Ashburns. And I think the O'Connor Cup, which is the ladies team, are something similar as well. And that didn't just happen. Like that was a lot of work went in behind the scenes there. But like you said, it's so, and it's so obvious um, even today when I go and see UL matches that this culture still exists. And it's 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 a credit to the college and a credit to the girls and every time I remember when I was leaving 
um or even when when the girls that were in fourth year when I was in first year and I was like how are we going to continue on this like they're incredible they're one they're once off individuals and but it just continues every year and we, the girls this year actually did um a zoom call for the fourth years who didn't get to play a championship this year at all and uh, they didn't get to train they didn't get to do anything they got um they had a zoom where they got all they made kind of a <laughs> uh, uh, they, they called out each of the girls and made, and made a memory of their years in college and they got girls like myself, past players to come on and, and speak about our enjoyment of UL. And like, there wasn't a, a ball hooked, like, you know, that was a year that was gone. There was no, but that just shows the camaraderie and the culture that's there within UL. And it started from the likes of Deirdre Murphy and Cody Carey all the way now to Adrian O'Sullivan, who's seen it through. And the fourth years every year, they're sensational and, and they'll breed that through to the first years coming along. And please God, it will stay and we'd be going home to our counties and bringing back that those standards that we're after getting in UL and uh, it, it's seeping through back into Tipperary back into Clare where these girls Limerick where these girls are coming from and we're beginning to get that bit more competitive but I do think UL has a lot to answer for for the rising in standards for in in Ireland in general and in the club in the team surrounding it. Definitely, definitely, and especially I suppose, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that point women in sport as well. That you know what they've done and the way the the girls are winning year in year out. Um, just to say, in your experience in UL at the time, um, how was how how are you kind of bedded in? You know, how is that? Cut? I know you you alluded to, it, but why did you do team building activities? And if so, yeah. what you know, what were they like? Was it going out yeah. for a night out or what? Was it? <laughs> Uh, we had a nice mix um so yeah we I, I never realized that I suppose when I was in first year and even in second year every year uh the girls the older girls would be harping on about this team building and it's so important and you know yourself on a Saturday and Sunday when you're in college you're trying you have a part-time job you're trying to get a bit of money so your weekends are fairly precious um when you're in college Monday to Friday and there was one weekend that everybody had to put aside every year and it was it was in like November, December. So our Ashburn weekend would be in February. And it was just it, everyone had to be there. And it was really sad because the girls that weren't there, you nearly always spotted it as the year went on because they didn't get that um, chance to bond with the rest of the team. We would have did many different things like we would have rented a house um, for a weekend in that we could have went off and did our own team building activities that were led by the management um and then we could like you said we could something like that afterwards but uh there was a nice mix there between activities activities based and just bringing the group together even with a few drinks or whatever it might be over a bit of food um we'd always try and and create that better if it wasn't on the pitch outside the pitch and those team building um were so important and I hear every year chatting to the girls that they still place that emphasis on people getting to that Idea. That's uh, that's amazing. Always, it's definitely very beneficial, especially like as you said there. You're bringing girls or, or players in general from different backgrounds, different clubs, different counties. You're bringing them all together. Um, and how did you find your time in in college? Um, do you feel that you met you missed out on a lot of say socializing, or did you get that socializing with you know with um with the girls? You know, with yeah. Oh, like it's ingrained in um, anyone that plays college camogie in UL like it's you're living you we used to be in a house an Ashburn house um as used to call it and there was an Ashburn week jar where we put funds into it and no matter who you talk to now it's O'Connor Cup week whether it be with the ladies football and that's your week kind of after your weekend away 
um at the at the finals or whatever and whether win lose or your ash per week was always I never had a bad ash per week no matter if we lost one or won one um so you always felt you were making up for it there but I suppose yeah it's a short enough season at the end of the day so you start in start your training probably in October and you're done in February so you have the rest of the college year but I, yeah I suppose I'd be lying if I did say like I didn't definitely didn't have the full college experience that everybody else had but Others would probably say I had more than them as well. So we, I, I don't, don't feel like I missed out. Um, I wouldn't be the biggest um, socialiser, I suppose. And like back in college, that kind of a thing, going out and, and nights out, it just didn't really appeal to me as much as uh, as others did. But I definitely enjoyed myself. Um, and then even when I, I enjoyed myself so much, I went back for two more years with the Masters. So I'd say, to be honest with you, I was sick of college by the end of the six years I needed to go. The only thing that get me going now was uh, the few aspirants that we had so it was it was a massive culture and a massive part of my college experience yeah yeah no I just just um even you know been in college then and just even chatting you know we seem to be like um you're a band of sisters and such that when you all you know when you started out and you you all ended together and you all fought for each other and obviously all you know socialized together as you moved on through those years in, in the Ashburn obviously new players were coming in constantly how would have do, how would those new players be embedded into the into the team then? Because sometimes it, it, can, it could get very clicky, do you know if I mean yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's something that we would have always been aware of, especially in groups of girls, and um, clicks can emerge quite quickly. Um, so from that team building point of view, or else you could have um literally a body system or you could have a leadership group. What we would have had for the last number of years is a leadership group rather even than so you would have had your two captains and then a leadership group and the leadership group would have had a few girls that they would have looked after and, and made sure that they were keeping getting on OK. And there was a freshers team as well that got them involved. But, um, you know, it was I suppose, yeah, it was it took that leadership group to get the girls involved and make sure everybody was OK and inviting them over for a cup of tea after training or to the group and making sure everybody gets there and if there, you'd always know someone if there was a fresher or a first year from Tipperary like I make sure and get onto her and be like look make sure and get the rest of the girls to come over now later and it was stuff like that that we just ensured that everybody because like that again like it was it was about enjoying it and winning but it, that you needed to continue that on for years to come and those girls needed to know that when you're in third year when you're in fourth year you need to do a similar thing and and make sure everybody's um involved and it's amazing because every year they do come out trumps and girls step up and, and make sure that that culture continues. Yeah, I just I find it very, very interesting how that culture was, you know, kept going. Like, obviously, the like your team was extremely successful and I think they're still winning mm-hmm. um, Ashburns. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's it's amazing to see how it's, you know, it's still there. Um, I had Orla Farmer there on the podcast a couple of months ago and obviously she did a lot of research into the area of the dropout rate of women in sport. Um, I think specifically is the GA. I'm not too sure now off off um, top of my head, but she found that eight to twelve year olds, um, that category of girls, fifty percent of them would drop out by the age of twelve, which is just that's you know yeah. it's quite quite worrying. It's it's quite mm-hmm. big. Um, obviously, work has been done to keep men sport, but in your opinion, um, from your own experience as well, what do you think could be done? Yeah, I suppose a big reason why um, girls would be dropping out from my point of view and I train um, my local under 16 camogie team for the past few years. And what we're seeing is um, that there's not enough, I suppose, focus on the weaker girls that uh, in developing their skills. 
that if they don't have it first off like the rest of the girls, they kind of won't see a point in it and they drop out. So what we try to do even in Clonty, um, we ensure that we have enough people at training, coaches wise, and that could come from the senior team or whatever. And that if we spot someone that's like, you know, struggling with a particular skill that we can take them aside and I suppose plan for that bit of differentiation and ensure girls are, are catered for and you know, sometimes they won't take it the best like they don't like being picked out and that but if you get it to the level that there's always someone that can be improved upon if the best girl on the team if you pull her aside one day and show her one thing then the rest of them see that it's not just me everyone's learning here and that's just one thing from my point of view now and we're definitely trying to work on that because like I said we're a very we're a small rural club in Canontios more and every number counts like and yeah, we just want to see everybody's enjoying it and like I said there at the start, there's a lot of girls after coming back to the panel this year because one thing led to another and they were at home in lockdown and they wanted to meet girls that uh, just be part of a group and they kind of chatting to them. That's what it kind of was. It's just a dropout. They felt not good enough or the standard was too high and this. So it definitely, I think people are learning a lot from it and making sure, I suppose, having enough numbers of training and stuff. And even from a teaching perspective, I suppose, um, schools have a lot to be said for as well. And or whatnot or creating different activities for girls to participate in and it's not just GA like but I'm just speaking from my point of view if GA is not for you that's absolutely fine but we need to keep them involved in something and I think a team dynamic is the best for everyone because that social aspect is so critical um, in developing key, key life skills. Definitely I know definitely that's that point there that social aspect is vital but I suppose thing you have to get the benefit of the social aspect, you kind of have to keep them in the sport and having people there to look after those that might be as talented at that age is uh, is definitely, that's I think that's a brilliant way of doing it. Um, because that was my fault. I was never really talented at sport. <laughs> <laughs> you know, great heart, but never really talented. But uh, I, I can totally relate, relate right? Um, just, one thing as well that I'm... Um, you know, you you hear you see in the media, you hear you know people talking about that. Um, obviously, last year you had the you know the twenty by twenty campaign to get more women involved in sport. And I thought it, I thought it was very very beneficial. In fairness, like you know, you had um, you had women doing a lot of media work, which was you know which is right and it should be. I even see you know Rachel Blackmore there a couple of weeks ago. Tipperary woman as well, actually. Um, you know, <laughs> she's doing great things as well for horse, you know, horse racing. Um, my what I'm trying to say is, do you think in order for this to continue to to go in the right direction for women in sport and to reduce that dropout rate, um, more women need to be in the media? So those young young players, for example, if it's in the GA, we use the GA for example, can look up to them. With saying athletics, you have a lot of you know you have a lot of women already, you know who are doing who are running for Ireland. They might be in the news and all that, but do you think more need to be in the news or in the media for the J? Don't get me wrong, it's going yeah. the right direction. There's a mm-hmm. lot lot work been done been yeah. done, but kind of a no, long way of asking a question. If you know, yeah, what yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, you're um, Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, and I do think there is like probably a handful of girls out there. Uh, GA only just a handful I'd say that are nationally recognized and like you're talking of the likes of like Sarah Rowe, Orla Dwyer, um, Ashley Thompson like you know they're the kind of girls and that's because they've purely got sponsorship deals and they're out in the media and 
that kind of a thing. And I think there's a great um overlap now in even just sports analysis and matches and stuff like that, where they're getting girls or women, I should say, like to to participate and offer their expertise and understanding. And that's opening up the fact that um there there is an understanding there and they're 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 just as good um in their own level in their own level playing field than it is to the to the to the men like so yeah I do definitely agree with you I think it's going to have to come from a media perspective because that's where young people are looking and that's where they'll get their role models and um we're getting to that high level of performance it just needs to be backed up now I suppose by these different sponsorship deals and 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 that kind of a thing but Look, like you said, there's a lot of work being done, but I think a lot more to do. And the WGPA and the GPA coming together under the one umbrella is definitely a step in the right direction. But I don't think it's going to be um, near unified until we get them all under the one organizations under the one umbrella. That being the Camogie Association, the GA and the Ladies Gaelic Football Association and, and the WGPA and the GPA coming together is definitely a step in the right direction. And um but until we get those three organizations under the one roof i don't think we're going to see the promotion um and the funding i suppose that we need um to get to that standard uh, because god knows the work is being put in we just need to get that i suppose belief and promotion because a lot of it comes back to money which is understandable but you need in order for something to strive you need investment as well so that's what it comes down to i guess those three, um, I know WGPA and the GPA are under the one umbrella now, but are those other three organisations not under the one umbrella? I thought, no, is there no. talks of it going? Yeah, there is talks of it. Um, so the fact the WGPA and the GPA only came together in the last few months. Um, so that's what people are saying now that the next step has to be the three other organisations to come together. So that's um, that's the hope and that's the dream. And I just hope I'm still playing. And um, by the time that happens, because it's going to be a special time and it's going to lead to big changes um, in facilities that are going to be used uh, to resources that are going to be pumped in. And, you know, um, back 10 years ago, I suppose, when I first started uh, playing, like we didn't have as much as we have now. And there's a lot to be grateful for. But um, do you know what? We could, I don't like looking and comparing to what the, the men have in comparison to us, because I think that's been spoke about and and people are very aware of what, of that situation. But we are getting closer to that and it's making it a lot easier for players to play and to get enjoyment out of it. So yeah, please God in the next few years, if those associations come together, it will, it will lead to, it will lead to that. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. I mean, it should, because, you know, to be honest, I can't see why you're, why they aren't already, but I don't know, maybe I'm just being too open-minded about it, but no, I, I definitely think they should be because, you know, you're both, at least you're all playing at the top level. You're representing your county. You're, um, you know, you're you're putting in a just as amount of hard work, if not more. Um, so look, I yeah, hopefully it will. You know, hopefully he's, it will. Got he's got. In normal circumstances, just like what what was your? Obviously, look, it's very hard to ask you ask ask you this now because obviously games aren't going on. But like, what would be your normal? Um, we're coming to the end now. Actually, close close enough to him. But what would be your normal pre match routine and post match routine? Um, do you have a kind of a set routine or superstitions or, or yeah, what? Like I, I used to actually, like I kind of said there when I had that turning point, I guess, in 2016. Before that, I would have been very much, okay, what did I have for breakfast the last day when I played really well that day? I think I did this and, oh, I, I think I visited my grandmother's grave and then I went here and then I did this, so I'm going to do all that again. And sure, then the next day you could go out and you'd 
play diabolical like so it's like right something new again so I do look I, I don't have too much routines to be honest with you um I suppose now it's just to try get sleep is a big thing for me um the girls will be laughing at me in the house the minute it gets to 10 o'clock I, I disappear like I'm gone and I need that I need my sleep and so that's one thing that definitely preparation for me I, I'd be getting my sleep and trying to control what I can control I guess like which is my food uh my sleep and putting making sure I have enough rest before that so getting in enough carbs always have breakfast never I would never miss breakfast if I went out training without a breakfast I'd fall down um so like it's just control and controllable like that I don't have any specific routines get in a bit of mobility uh before games a bit of activation I guess I'm a little bit more focused on my routine um from a mobility and activation point of view the fact that I have to be aware of my my knee and be fully warmed up before I do anything but that's all routine stuff it's not superstition or anything like that it's just to get my body in the best possible position and then again after games then just try get in food again all goes back to food get in food get in your recovery and, and get yourself in the best possible position for the next day this period probably allows you to allows you to think of it even though you're only 26 but uh once you know once you retire have you thought of, <laughs> of what, what you might do i know you still probably have another 10 years left but yeah you know what i mean yeah, no, I do. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely, I got a, a good insight this year into uh, when I was injured. I did a good bit of commentating with Tip FM, um, at the start of the year, and and that was something that I never would have even thought about. It was sports analysis, um, sitting alongside a commentator and looking in on hurling games, um, at the highest level in Tipperary, and I was lucky enough to get the chance to to do analysis on the senior hurling county final in Tip this year. So that was something that I never would have got the opportunity to do again if I wasn't injured. And it's something I really enjoyed and I never would have thought of it. Um, so analysis of games and sports and just I, I never realised, I suppose, until people told me the understanding I had for the game. And that would have come from going to games and playing games, I guess. Um, and, and here my dad, <laughs> he takes credit for everything um, of talking in full detail on games and stuff. So, yeah, that, that's a cool side. And I, I, I really do enjoy that. So that's something when I retire that I would love to look a little bit further into alongside coaching as well, which I've been doing since a, a young age, too. Ask question. Actually, I have a few questions came in and we cover a lot of them, but I'll, I'll get I'll get to them in a few minutes. But uh, can you catch you on the spot now? Will we see you over in Australia in a couple of years? <laughs> um, I get I need to get myself back playing camogie anyway at the highest level first and get myself to that standard, and then even back to the jewel, uh, the jewel dream, and see after that. Then, um, look, it's everyone's. You'd be lying if you didn't say it wasn't a, a dream to be a professional or a pro. And Alan Ashmack would be two of my good friends, and I've played alongside them, um, with Jewel and with Tip and. Just seeing the experiences that they've had is uh, is incredible. And look, at the end of the day, you have to be good enough to get these opportunities and put yourself in the right position. So uh, we'll see. I'll, I'll try to get myself into a position to even think about that maybe in the next few years. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Pure politician answer. <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> that, that's what I'll retire into. <laughs> uh, just a few questions came in there. Um, what would be your favourite position when... I suppose football uh, and camogie. Yeah, I suppose it's a gas one actually because um it's one that I I I, I would always say I, I love playing around the middle of the field winning winning ball and and that kind of thing. 
Um, whereas a lot of people would like to see me inside the full forward line, I suppose, to carry the ball and, and that kind of a thing. But I do myself, I would love um, the middle of the field more. It's a, you kind of, it gets you into the game a lot quicker, I find, than if you're waiting inside in the corner, inside in full. Sometimes 10 minutes could be gone without a ball being touched or a lot of selfless runs or that kind of a thing. Whereas you've no excuse when you're out in the middle and you can get stuck into the game straight away. That probably brings, you know, naturally dates back to your your running as well career before because you used to do a lot of you know long distance running um so yeah. you prefer to be out, out around the middle um just the one quick question I, you, you'll obviously know what is meant by this but uh who does the best coffee in Timor <laughs> um <laughs> I suppose that would have to be um uh, Fish Kendi out the back there. He's a he's a, a lovely. He's a Badger and Dodo coffee there. Really nice stuff. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Look, I'll uh, I'll wrap it up there. Um, thanks very much for taking time out to come on inside your podcast. And best look with with everything else going forward. Thanks, million, Jamie. I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Sarah. I think it was very honest, very down to earth. Um, I think she was very open about her her career to date and uh, you know the setbacks she's had. Uh, we'd like to take this opportunity to, to thank Sarah for taking time out to come on Inside View Podcast. It means a huge amount to us and uh, look best look with everything going forward. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in any way possible. Um, email us info on the ball teambuilding.com or follow us on social media. On Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. Over on Twitter, it's at we are on the ball two. That is the digit two. We're also on TikTok on the ball team building, and we're also on LinkedIn. We've a, a page there. It's on the ball team building. Have a lovely week, and be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe, and remember, cred unat fein. Talk to you all soon, and thank you all for listening.